0: network
1: interface enabled Hello and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast. I'm your host Carlos and with me is your host Ben, also known as BJ. Uh, Today we have returning guest host JJ. Hey JJ. Hello. And a new guest host, Holly. Hey, Holly. Hello. Hey, everybody. So I hope uh, I hope the last couple months have been good for everyone, you know, since we've been a little bit out of touch a little bit. We're going to have a lot to talk about today. So uh, what do you all think?
2: It's going to be a content-heavy day. I have to apologize. Um, I think uh, I've been responsible a lot for the outage, a lot of working going on, and I know you've been doing a lot of work. So... Well, we'll see if we can do more podcasts on a regular basis. I know my wife has been threatening to punch me on a regular basis for not doing this stuff, so... Excellent. Oh, she's just threatening nowadays? Um, she actually has punched me a couple times, and it hurts a little yeah. bit. She's, she's yeah. got a good arm, so...
1: It's it's all good. A lot of, uh, lot of geek new stuff going on, Carlos. There is, and yeah, I made a list like a mile long. Um, you want to start with something... Well,
2: I mean, you said you didn't want to cover it, but I mean, I'm, I'm. We have to touch on the J.J. Abrams thing for just a brief second. I was, I was kidding. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, uh, announced. Uh, we, there was a lot of um, speculation. Names were being thrown around. Ben Affleck, um, uh, Ryan Johnson. You know, there's there's a ton of names being thrown around, but it landed on J.J. Abrams. He is sort of the, uh, I guess the uh, the the holder of geek trust, I guess you could say, because he does things really well. You know, he he revitalized Star Trek. That was kind of a floundering franchise, and he came in and breathed a lot of life into that. Yes, and now? Now,
3: now they're he's hoping... dual-wielding dual Star Trek and
2: Star <laughs> Wars. Does that feel weird to anyone else? It's a little like bit. Extraordinarily. I mean, it's... I, I'm going to throw this word... Well, yeah. I mean, well, because you know they had that you know Twitter fight on you know between Carrie Fisher and, and uh, William Shatner, and you know there's always been that kind of stigma between Star Trek nerds and Star Wars nerds. You know, we kind of give each other glares um, in in you know shopping malls and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, I'm going to throw this word out there; it's going to sound a little strange, but it almost feels a little incestuous, right, within geek culture.
1: I, I the only thing that would be worse if they got the Twilight director. I, I think there would be a massive uproar if they did that. Um, <laughs> no, I'd actually, I don't think it's a bad thing. It is. Yes, I understand what you're saying, though. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit strange. It does, yes.
2: but it, it makes me feel good because it's in good hands.
1: Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, yeah. I, I enjoyed the first Star Trek movie. Um, it was a little different from previous things, but I thought it was all right. And I'm, I re- what I'm really going to do is judge him based on the next Star Trek movie. So we'll see if if, uh, if, if uh, he can keep it up with the next one or not. <laughs>
2: okay. From it. From a technical perspective, though, it's also a very weird choice because Lucas was very much hearkening on the use special effects, use special effects. You know, the, the three films he did recently were all CGI, very little practical effects. Abrams is actually a big proponent of practical effects. You see that in Star Trek, where most of the interior, the, the ship, and everything are practical effects. He he, you know, minimizes the use of the
1: CGI stuff as much as possible. Right, less green screen than some other stuff. Which, um, uh, I think can only be better. Yeah, yeah, so
0: far, yeah, I agree. So far, yeah, it's people- It's clearly not working for Luke. <laughs> you
1: know, no. Yeah. So far, people have been pretty positive about it from what I've seen. Uh, oh, yeah. Chris, C- Chris Pine, you know, Captain Kirk in the movie, he, he's all, he's all, he's all for it unless it stops Abrams from directing the third Star Trek movie, in which case he says that they're gonna have to kidnap him and hold him hostage mm-hmm. until he directs it.
3: Well, if they just make him like Luke Skywalker or something like that, then it's all good. That's right. <laughs> well, well, should, that'd be so weird. Captain Kirk
2: and Luke Skywalker.
1: <laughs> talk about incestuous that would be awesome
2: i i don't think i think the geek you know geeks heads were explode at that the <laughs> combining <laughs> those two characters i don't think it can process within anyone's mind
1: that would be cool so speaking of movie stuff is that do you have any other any of you have any other movie news you'd like to talk about um nothing off the top of my head you got anything on your list uh, i got a, two things related to movies on my list one is that i actually did go and see the movie hansel and gretel Jim and I went to go see it uh, the other day as well, and su- uh, surprisingly a bunch of other people I know have gone to see it. Hansel and Gretel is as terrible a movie as you think from the, uh, from watching the, uh, the trailers, and, but it completely knows it. it. It knows that it is an awful, awful movie, and it doesn't care. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. It is not a good movie. It is not an Oscar contender. There is not good acting. It is full of, uh, anachronisms. It is full of, like, they don't even bother with the pseudo accents. You know, some people do have accents who live in the villages, but like the stars, no, they don't even bother trying. It's it's all guns and violence and and, and hunting down witches and stuff. And it was actually quite a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is definitely not a good movie, but I think it's worth seeing anyway.
2: So when when uh, my wife and I got stuck in Halifax, uh, we were kind of dying for stuff to do, and we ended up going to go see that movie. I was initially against it because it looked like. Van Helsing to Van Helsing harder, right? It just looked <laughs> exactly right, ridiculous. The Van Helsinker. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I completely agree with you, Carlos. Whereas Van Helsing was trying to fit this perfect mold of being horror, but comedy, but you know, drama and and,
1: and angsty
2: and angsty, and then it went for the you know the ever you know wanted PG thirteen rating, so it appealed to the largest audience possible, and it just looked like. A really bad, but B washed down really bad, right? Mm-hmm. This movie didn't try to go for that. It's like we're going to go R. There's going to be a lot of blood. People are going to get their heads knocked off. We're going to have boobs. We're going to have cursing, and there's going to be a lot of violence.
1: Yep. A- and and that made it fun.
2: I'm sorry, I'm just that guy.
1: Yeah, it was, and and it was. I mean, it knew it. The director or, uh, was the guy who did Dead Snow as well. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that. It is the uh, it is a is it a Norwegian movie? Uh, I forget, but it's 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 a foreign movie uh, with uh, Nazi zombies attacking uh, some skiers, basically. And it is also a bad movie, but knows it and is still quite a bit of fun. So yeah, I thought I thought it was. Uh, I had a good time with Hansel and Gretel. Uh, shockingly,
2: yeah, not going to win any awards, but it was an entertaining, um, you know, just flick. That's and, and that's all it wanted to be.
1: Right. Not everything has to be high art. Now I couldn't, I could not get uh, Holly to see it because sure. <laughs> one is that she doesn't go see the movies, but the other one, of course, is that it stars. That's not uh, what it is. Well, it's I don't
0: see movies you like because you have really bad taste in movies.
1: Well, that is one thing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, it stars it stars Jeremy Renner, uh, Jeremy Renner, and, and I think Gemma Atwater. I don't actually, I don't actually, I'm not too familiar with uh, the actress. But uh, of course, Jeremy Renner, as you know, played Hawkeye. And, uh, Holly has a crazy, uh, crazy, crazy bias against Hawkeye for some reason. I, I, no, Holly, I completely understand
2: that. And, and I, you, my reason might be different than your reason, but I got really put off on Jeremy Renner because he came out in an interview was kind of bashing the Avengers because he felt he didn't get enough screen time. And, and that really kind of pissed me off because A, it was an epic movie, but B, it was an ensemble movie, right? So when people do stuff like, um. Uh, Valentine's Day or uh, New Year's or, or or the New Year's movie, you know those those um those kind of warm feely movies that are romance and has just a ton of people in it. Well, this is like it was like that an ensemble movie, and Jeremy Renner just kind of felt like he was throwing a little bit of a tantrum. Like I didn't get enough screen time, and I got really put off on him for that.
0: Well, you know his character did not warrant any more screen time.
2: Exactly. I mean, how silly is it? I mean, you sit there and you literally see Hawkeye and, and Black Widow in a gunfight. She's shooting guns and he's you know. Using his bow, and you're sitting there going, "Really?" Oh, I, I, it
0: starts at the beginning. I mean, he's in the movie for like what five minutes. His thing is, I watch things, yeah, and then he doesn't. Even though he's watching the portal at the beginning, he doesn't manage to do anything about it. No. And so they come in, they instantly turn him to evil. So he has no self control. And the next time we see him, he gets phoned with his own bow.
2: So. I, I I feel like he had the opportunity to really make a cool character there, and rather than put his you know his all into it, he Maybe phoned it in just a little bit. And don't get me wrong. I love the Avengers, and then he badmouthed it,
1: and that just made me a little like anti <laughs> jeremy Renner. So, exactly. so the other movie I wanted to mention. Have you guys seen the trailer for? And this trailer came out in 2010 for Knights of Badassdom. No. So knights Knights of Badassdom. You should you should look that up. Uh, it is a movie uh, by which a it it stars some people that you probably recognize. the the It uh the trailer premiered at. Comic Con uh, uh several, a couple of years back back and it stars um Peter Dinklage, uh Ryan Quantin, Summer Glau, Steve Zahn. So it's got all these names of people Summer. that you probably yeah that you probably <laughs> recognize, you know, some big Jeep geek culture. It was super well received at Comic Con. Um and then all of a sudden and then it like disappeared. And you never you never really found out what happened to it. So I, I dug I dug into it a little bit to see figure out what happened to that movie. So the movie the premise of the movie is it stars a bunch of um, it stars these famous people and they're larpers and they basically trick one of their friends to go larping and they're having this grand you know larp battle. Have you seen this?
2: I actually yes. <laughs> now that you mention it, I believe I have seen that uh, that trailer before and it looked awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. and um, and somehow. So a guy who's really into role playing, he's playing a wizard, and he shows him doing the the silly. I can't remember that exactly. Except he's doing lightning ball, lightning ball. they're throwing like those little balls. But he he's gonna level up, and so he finds he finds this book of spells right that looks really awesome. And so they do this ceremony so he can level up. But he accidentally summons a succubus who starts killing everyone. And, and it, it's a comedy. I mean, obviously it's a comedy and it looks, but it looks hilarious and they're fighting off the succubus. It's a, a horror comedy kind of thing. And I, I actually really want to see it. Again, it is not going to win any kind of awards, but it looked funny. And of course we we're the target audience and you know, it's, it's, it's geekery and it's fun and it's violent, whatever. the um, website does say coming out 2012. So it, exactly. The website does say coming out 2012. And it's one of those things. There's a website called videoeta.com and it has a really interesting history about what's been going on. On with Knights of badassdom one of the interesting things is the production company says they've chosen not to engage with the fans mm-hmm. i don't yeah it's kind of weird i don't know why they chose that but the other thing is basically it's being held hostage sort of by one of the uh one of the people who are responsible for the production so um they are planning to maybe release it in two thousand first first half of 2013 now but there's a company called indie vest which um is supposed to be kind of responsible for actually getting it out there and they've just not done a very good job about any of it. They're, they're the, the production company. So theoretically it will be coming out before June, but, uh, you know, it's this weird kind of, kind of situation where people have shelved this movie that actually looks kind of fun, not engaged with the fans, not built up any buzz, you know, stars these, these people and it's just kind of gone nowhere. So. So very, they're very, like very.
2: taking the opposite approach of like the gamers, and that yes. they're just trying to be giant douchebags. Pretty much,
1: it's okay. it's very very strange. So yeah, if you search for "badass dumb" and then "video ETA," you can get to that website. It's got the long complicated story about uh, why they're being, or at least what they've said about why they've been quiet about the status of the film. But uh, here they go. He said the the, the person they interviewed said they made a conscious decision to actively to to not actively engage the fans instead choosing to let the finished product speak for itself. Of course, they're not releasing the finished product, so that's kind of a very very weird thing. And the fact that they had that kind of Comic-Con debut that was you know 3 years ago now and not released it, that's really bizarre. That is beyond strange. So, let's talk about Hawkeye again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Let's talk about a, Let's, let's talk about Let's talk about a, an actual good uh, archer.
2: Oh, yeah. um, so where you want to get into nothing else on the list before you want to get to the meat of the, uh, the podcast?
1: That's uh, it's one of the things on the podcast. I mean I've got other stuff to talk about too, but I, I figured we'd go in uh, – okay. let's, talk, let's talk about uh, this now. Talk about television next.
2: Gotcha. So one of the things that we all want to talk about, and, and that's why we have the uh, the big ensemble today, is the new CW series Arrow. and. We we got a taste of this uh, much earlier when they did the Superman series, uh, the uh, Smallville series, um, and we probably all have a variety of opinions of that, both kind of up and down. They're going to take another, they're taking another stab at it with Arrow, this time centered on the Green Arrow character. Uh, right off the bat, I just have to say, I, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of what they've been doing with the series so far. I, I feel like they've been correcting a lot of the mistakes they made in Smallville in this series.
1: I have to completely agree. I think Arrow is great. I, I do. It's. A, I think it's. It's definitely. I don't watch a lot of television, um, just because of time, basically. But it is. It is something that I decided. To, my dad, you know, showed it to me, and I thought it was. I think it's great. It's definitely uh, one of my favorite things on television right now.
3: Yeah, I think I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think I, I kind of feel like Smallville started out okay and good, and then all of a sudden everybody was infected with uh, kryptonite poisoning and was an evil person, so I, I don't know. I'm The verdict's still out for me. I like it. I like it a lot, but um, I, I keep kind of just waiting for the first real cheesy thing to happen.
2: Well, uh, that's where I'm going to disagree just a little bit because I, I remember Smallville in the beginning and, and the first like episode or two were really good when they were dealing with the whole introduction of, of Clark and Lex, but then right after that, they really just ramped into the Freak of the Week, you know, Kryptonite Freak of the Week. And it got mm. to be such a joke on the series that they actually made fun of it in the series. You know, later on in, like, Season 5, Chloe or someone's like, man, it, back in Smallville, it seemed like every week we had a Kryptonite freak on us or something. And so mm. it became very meta within the series that they recognized and acknowledged the fact that they were just kind of rehashing the same formula. Here, so far, we've had, you know, and I think they recognized in Smallville... The episodes that were the most popular were the episodes that used canon characters, that used the Flash or Aquaman or Cyborg or the Justice League. So we're already seeing a lot of that in the series, right? We've seen Deathstroke the Terminator. Um, We've seen Deadshot, the Huntress. Uh, Am I missing anything, Carlos? Because I know they've done more.
1: uh, Merlin, uh, Dinah Lance. Dinah Lance. The the Speedy, uh, Roy Harper. Um, yeah, so they they have they have mentioned several characters, and at one point I went out and made a list for this podcast, and I have no idea what I did with it.
2: One of the bodyguards <laughs> is like the guy who crucified Green Arrow on with his own arrows at some comic. Uh, book. So uh,
1: the CIA agent is a guy from the thing. The father, the stepfather, is is from the series. So all, yeah, there's all these kind mm. of things that touch on the comic series. They might not be you know exactly the same. In fact, they're not exactly the same as the comic series, but they're uh are characters in their own right and certainly for uh, you know as uh, people who have read the comic series it's a really nice little uh extra thing for them in some ways an homage it, if you will yeah
3: yeah and i had no idea that they'd had characters from the comic books in there yet right. because I, I i've never read any green arrow comic book so I was i was just kind of like well cool i wonder if they're ever going to get another superhero in here so right
1: right so um steve arnell is the uh actor who plays oliver queen uh, slash green arrow he does great uh, I think, yeah, he was cast really, really well. He
2: mm-hmm. was. He's in crazy shape. I don't know how he maintains that shape <laughs> for the entire, because they have him doing, like, the uh, the salmon ladder pull-ups and stuff like that. Yeah. He's doing Ninja he's,
1: Warrior stuff, yeah.
2: <laughs> he's doing a scene where he's having a conversation, and he's doing handstand push-ups. Yes. A-, a, I couldn't do that in the first place. B, I definitely couldn't have a conversation while attempting to do it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. and they've got uh, Harry Dresden as the cop. I love that. Paul Blackthorne, the guy who played Dresden in the Dresden Files. Yeah, I, I'm glad. I'm glad he has work again. Honestly, uh, so <laughs>
3: Susan Susan Thompson, the uh, the mom uh-huh. uh, Moira Queen. She uh-huh. uh, she's been in every Star Trek series too. Um, Why is she really at, at some point or other? Yeah, she okay. was like the Queen Borg in oh, that's what, okay. uh, Star Trek Voyager. She was uh, a lot of other little cameos and stuff. So cool. She is no stranger to sci fi. She was in the X Files movie. She was in all kinds of different stuff. So
1: the And uh, also oh, saying unlike Hawkeye, he is not lame with his bow and arrow. <laughs>
3: no, he's not lame at all. They actually make the bow look cool, which you know I'm of course happy about
1: because yes. I like the bow. Yes. No, he's he's great. I mean he yeah, he kicks ass. They didn't with,
0: match him up with God.
1: No. No, they didn't put him against a Thor or anything like that. That that helps too. Yeah. You know? And 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 it's okay. And the other
2: thing is, they really are like I said, learning from the mistakes of Smallville. In Smallville, they stated very early on to the series that you're never going to see Clark in the Superman outfit. And even in the last episode, when they thought, you know, hey, after like eight or nine seasons, you know, more, they're ending the series, they're going to show him. All you got to see was like the symbol under the shirt, and that's it. Mm-hmm. That really pissed me off. That really, because I just wanted one good shot of him in the in the outfit, and you never got it. And from day one on this series, he's in the outfit.
1: I'm happy. And it doesn't look stupid, which is amazing for Green Arrow in some ways. Well, because it could be easily done, very cheesy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. The, the original, the very original Green Arrow character, like a lot of you know, Golden Age characters, was was kind of cheesy in a lot of ways. He had like trick arrows and whatever and stuff like that.
3: Okay. And then and he in, looked he looked exactly like Robin Hood. He had right. Robin yes, Hood hat exactly. On.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then like in the 90s, they did something very interesting with the character, and they started making him more of a serious Batman Dark type character. And I and I think uh, he got a lot of popularity then, uh, especially with the series called the Longbow Hunters. And I think this has done uh, this. Yeah, the series has been very good about not making him a jokey character. I mean, it's it's completely and then what, serious.
3: Two, yeah. 2001 Kevin Smith
2: started writing it. Well, because the Green Arrow character had died and right. Kevin hmm. Smith wrote the rebirth series that brought him back. Right. Okay. And, and that sort of became the canon for, uh, bringing the Green Arrow character back and he came back into the DC universe from that Kevin Smith series. He also gained a lot of popularity from the ongoing series he had with, uh, Green Lantern, where they yes. sort of served as like an old, as an odd couple where Green Lantern was sort of the Republican and Green Arrow was the liberal and they talked, they tackled social issues.
1: Right. Mm. Right, that was a fairly popular series.
2: The other reason that it's interesting, it, it, it's easier to be interesting about Green Arrow is because he's human. You know, Holly brought up the good point, you know, he's not up against Thor. That was always the problem that they had with Smallville was that mm-hmm. Superman's just a very powerful character for an ongoing drama series, right? So they gotta keep him grounded so they, you know, didn't let him fly till the very end. You know, oh, I'm afraid of flying or haven't hit that power yet. And they had you have to do the you know Kryptonite Freak of the Week because how else are you going to challenge Superman right? So everyone's going to have Kryptonite. It's like in the pepper there to a certain degree. Yeah. I remember I, I, it got silly when they had the coach who his the, he had a steam room in the school and the rocks they they used for the steam room were Kryptonite rocks and I was sitting there going <laughs> really,
1: oh, that's <laughs> awesome.
2: and that's how he got like fire powers because he was in the steam room and the steam room had Kryptonite rocks and that's when I was just like man really are we really going to this degree. Green Arrow is a mortal character, so it's a lot easier mm-hmm. to challenge him, you know, with, with mundane street level bad guys, and that's what makes it interesting. He has yeah. to, he gets his butt kicked, he has to take some time to lick his wounds. Yeah, and,
1: and the writing's mm-hmm. actually good on the series, yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, go, uh, go ahead. ahead. Oh, so the, o- the only other character that I forgot to mention is, uh, John Barrowman who plays Malcolm Merlin, and from, uh, John Barrowman, who plays Captain Jack and Doctor Who and Torchwood, mm-hmm. kinda has, has a pretty major role towards the end of the season. Uh, so, and he's, he's pretty awesome.
2: And, and the Merlin character, we know that's going to be kind of this, you know, weird bad guy, good guy type of thing. There's a lot of, you know, in, intrigue in that. My only criticism of the series is that it's it's conforming to the CW the CW formula, and they do this with all their series now. It's really annoying, but it's conforming to that that uh, formula of everyone's got secrets, and it's just this massive web of secrets that everyone's keeping from each other, and it feels like everyone's backstabbing each other. And, and they do that with a lot of their series now. And they did that on Smallville too, but I, I don't feel it needs to be that overly dramatic, that overly done in order to, to make it good.
1: So I haven't seen the last two episodes. I think, I, hopefully they are on the DVR of, of the season, but, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to things happening, uh, as we get further on. Um, do we know, uh, if it's been, re- if it's gonna be, if it's been renewed or how many more episodes gonna have this, this season?
2: Um I think they're gonna go for a standard, like, 22 episode season. I do think they have been renewed, but I can't, I have to go back and check that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been really well reviewed. Uh, it's, uh, it's at 73 on Metacritic. Uh, it's gotten pretty well reviewed from newspapers and from other, other things, I think, and I think it's done well, ratings-wise, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they've, I think they've legitimately got a hit on their hands, and mm-hmm. by legitimately I mean, or deservedly is probably a better mm-hmm. word there, yeah. You can already tell
2: the. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: Wikipedia says it's been picked up for a full season, but it doesn't say anything about next season.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, it's only 12 episodes in right now, so a full season probably means they're going to actually expand it to the the rest of the 26 or however many they're going to do. Yeah. The um, you can already
2: tell that they have a mechanic in place because you know they talk about him being on the island for five years, right? And so the episodes are kind of spliced in between him and the present Mm -hmm. world and him and the island world. And and as people may or may not know, five seasons is the magical number for syndication. That's where you get the most bang for your buck, and you can officially sell your series for syndication and get a lot more money. So obviously, they're planning on five seasons of of him fighting crime, but also telling the story of him on the island. That's, on the island, yeah. You know, that's very transparent in how they're setting up the storyline.
3: And I... And I actually love that that flashback to the island to see how he how he became
1: the Green Arrow. It's it's a
2: And that's great because that's canon. That's that's that's, that's in the Green Arrow
1: history. Yep, that's the very origin story of the original, original Green Arrow. And
3: then what's what the deal with the dude in the mask? Is this, do we do you know who that is? Yes, that's uh, the is,
1: don't don't Yes. Oh, is that okay. So you mean the, the the one on the island you mean on the island yeah yes that is a character known as deathstroke the terminator a pretty major character in the dc universe uh, even right now in the in the new 52 he has his own series he is a usually a villain often a villain from the teen titans so he came out in the teen titans cartoon for example uh also but he comes out all over the place he's uh he's kind of like an augmented human in a, in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. he uh his name is Slade his last name is Slade he also goes by that name uh, and he is a mercenary basically uh, most of the time he's a villain. Occasionally he's a hero. Um,
3: I have to admit, he looks a little cheesy. He is the, the cheesy costume.
1: You should see his original outfit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could tell from the half mask. And actually, if you go back and watch the very first episode, uh, I know I talked to BJ right after the first episode came out and I said, did you notice that they had Deathstroke's mask? Uh, so if you go back and watch the very first episode when they t- when they show the island, uh, Deathstroke's mask is on a post there with so an arrow we- through it. Yep. So we knew that he was going to come out in, you know, from the very first episode, if, if you caught that. Hmm.
3: Now we know he's going to die or
1: get his
3: mask ripped off.
1: Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Exactly. Now the question is, if, since this
2: series is doing so well and it shows that the street level, you know, superhero drama has, you know, potential and, and can get an audience, do you think that they'll ever do a Batman series like this? Or is that just off limits because it's, it needs movie attention and not TV attention?
3: I would say it would need movie attention. But I I would think they might do like a what is the Robin guy, the Nightwing. Nightwing. Nightwing or something like that. Well, they, they might you know, do a spin-off.
1: They tried Birds of Prey and that did not do that so did
3: not much. do well at all. So right, which is it existed.
1: Yeah. So yeah, they they tried Birds of Prey a few years back, which uh starred the Huntress and Dinah Lance, I think might have been one of the characters on that. Uh and uh Barbara Gordon, I think. Barbara Gordon Oracle. Yep. Yep. So uh, and it didn't do very well. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, basically, this is what I think. I think, think of the worst possible thing that DC could do, and that's probably what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, they're they're going to do a return to the Joel Schumacher uh, '60s version of that. Oh
2: jeez! So um, Why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would think they'd learned that lesson by now. Yeah, maybe. Hope so. But that's what it feels like. It feels like they've got gold on their hands. That they're doing a really good job, and I feel like I'm holding my breath because I'm just waiting for them to screw it up.
3: Exactly. Yeah, that's what I said. That's why I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the other foot or the other shoe to drop. And
2: and, and I can Wait, appreciate just,
0: that. Did we start talking about Hasbro?
2: No. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe. What, what now? Wizards, oh, of Coast, Wizards
1: of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. Yeah.
2: Oh, geez. Oh, if you get us started on that, we'll never get out of here, Holly, because I'm just going to rant and rant and rant <laughs> about all the, the goofy crap they've been doing. So, uh,
1: any other Arrow stuff to mention?
2: Nothing off the top of my head. I think um, the the point is, watch it. See for yourself. It's a good series.
1: Yes. So, Holly, you need to watch it.
2: Thank
1: <laughs> you. All right. The other show that that Holly and I started watching, and I don't know if any of you guys have, have you ever seen the show Adventure Time?
3: I've heard of it. On Cartoon Network, right? Yes,
1: yes. I have not seen it, but I see a lot of cosplay on it on the internet. So you need to watch Adventure Time. It is it is uh also known as Adventure Time with Finn and Jake. It is very bizarre and funny and strange. Holly seen more of it than I have, but uh I you know, I picked it up because it it's been like I said, it's been all over the internet in a lot of ways, and I've seen little clips of it and it look funny. And uh I've watched it, it's shorts. it's like fifteen minute episodes or so, I think. Is that right, Holly? Yep, All right. It, yeah, fifteen minute episodes. And it stars uh Finn the human and Jake the Dog in this crazy world where they go mm-hmm. on adventures, and it stars these um zany characters like um uh, Lumpy Space Princess and the Ice King and uh Princess the Bubblegum. Bubblegum
0: and yeah. Lady Rain uh Yeah,
1: and uh yeah, all those all those folks. And and they they it's inspired by like it is directly inspired by D and D by video games and it's, it's all hedge on animations. Definitely check it out. Um, it is not on Netflix yet, but apparently it is going to be on Netflix in a couple of months. Uh, but you can catch in a cartoon network now.
0: I wouldn't say there's any deep, like specific parody of any yeah. particular, like, um, genre or particular game.
1: Right. But they, they, yeah, it's what the authors, the creators have said, the writers have said that they, they, uh, They've done stuff like that. And also, uh, specifically mentioned Dungeons and Dragons. You're just not
0: going to see any, like, angels. Right.
1: right. My neighbor Totoro, uh, some other stuff like that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's very, it's very cool. So check it out. Sounds awesome. All it's right. Fun.
0: It's no My Little Pony.
1: <laughs> My Little Pony. Mm. Is so awesome. Speaking of Hasbro, um, actually, now, well, let's speak about Hasbro. Um, so you want to move to RPGs now? Let's do it. So RPGs, one of the big things that's happened in the RPG world in the last couple of weeks is that Wizards of the Coast has started selling its PDFs again. Little wow. by little.
2: Yeah, they, they've got an online store. I, I've already downloaded, because they've got a bunch, they've got some free modules on there too, so I've downloaded some of their free modules. Er, early stuff when, like, uh, the, uh, um, 4th edition.
1: stuff, right? Everything. Every, Everything. Every well, edition.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. they, so they're supporting 1st edition, 2nd edition, 3rd edition, and 4th edition, so it's it's slowly being populated with stuff. It was pretty slim when it first came out, and it's slowly but surely. They've got a couple free downloads. I downloaded some free module packs, like um, the sh- uh, Shadowkeep stuff and what have you, mm-hmm. and, and it's about time. I mean, Paizo's yeah. been kicking their ass in this department just constantly.
1: Right, and if you remember, towards the beginning of fourth edition, back in April of 2009, they stopped selling PDFs because they were worried about piracy, and that was basically <laughs> it. And they just stopped. So, uh, and and so before that, they had sold PDFs through uh, the big the big retailer, which is Drive Through RPG, also known as RPG now. Um, and yeah, and 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 this is a complete turnaround. And in fact, they've gone back to them. In fact, their distributor now is Drive Through uh, Drive Through RPG again. And in, in, if you bought uh pdfs back then in 2009 which i did um i i had all the pdfs that came out there's only a few at that point um they're there again so you can actually go back and download all of your old stuff that you downloaded Hmm. that you bought before 2009 and and they're they've committed to supporting every edition uh they are i don't they probably don't have too many people working on it which is why they're releasing them a little bit at a time as they have to convert stuff and put it into pdf but um yeah. They they uh you can go ahead and buy stuff from every single edition. They're starting with the more popular stuff. Um, but you can go to DNDclassics.com. It's dndclassics.com. DND classics.com. It is actually also drive through RPG, it's the same same thing, it's just a D and D front for it. And you can get uh every edition uh PDFs.
2: And do you know what they're gonna do with the compendium when next comes out? Because the compendium's been heavily used, uh, the current one for four E.
1: Nobody knows. They have not announced it. They they are apparently they are still evaluating their options somehow.
2: I, I know a few groups have have expressed interest to maintain it themselves. Should they you know want to take it down? I, I hope that happens because it's a it's a great tool for
1: playing. No, I agree. I agree. The the I mean it is it is a wonderful thing to yeah. The compendium is is terrific. It's the best part of their online thing. I mean there there used to be that their creator was the best part uh and that has over time their, their switch over their their removal of the offline creator was just not a good idea um, again i think that was partly pi- quote-unquote piracy f- uh fears of piracy but you know it was it just their new one is just not as good as their old one
2: no that's why everyone switched to cb loader unfortunately yeah. so they, they made their fears come to to light by doing that right you know it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point
1: so so yeah I'm hoping that this this you know both the the giant community input for D&D Next both selling the PDFs I think these are I hoping these are good signs. Uh we've talked about this before my only concern of course is that D&D Next is not going to be a big enough hit for Hasbro because which it won't be because nothing is going to be a big enough hit for Hasbro. But uh I I'm hoping that this kind of management continues that this influence of, of being friendly with online support and friendly with digital materials continues because that's what they really need. Well, Hasbro has unrealistic
2: expectations. They're expecting magic money. Yes. Yep, that's correct. And, and when I say magic money, I don't mean like magic money that just appears. I mean Magic the Gathering money, right? Because Magic the Gathering is just a huge cash cow for them. Uh, maybe both. Okay, maybe both. <laughs> but and, – and D&D will never be a Magic the Gathering. It's just it's just not the same.
1: Right, and you see hints of that because every now and then they they'll try to put like, oh – collectible cards, trade cards to d d or they'll try to add mm-hmm. something and it's never received very well, never seems to do particularly well, and of course then it, they scrap that and go to something else. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens moving forward. I, you know, it's disappointing that they haven't been supporting 4th edition in a while, really, for for several months now. Um, they pretty much, all their stuff is going to D&D next. Almost all the articles that are coming out of Dungeon & Dragon are edition neutral. So, I think...
2: Their best idea were the uh, plastic minis.
1: Yes, plastic minis (laughs) were great.
2: Yeah, because for the longest time we'd been relying on the smaller metal ones, and then the plastic minis Mm -hmm. came out. I think I think what they need to do is just figure out a way to like for the common ones or something like that. Just buy individual ones so people can like fill out what they need. I think relying on randomization hurts the gamers because we have a specific like mindset for what we need.
1: And they've started that now. They've started selling. Well, they've basically they've made a new miniatures game, which I have not played at all. I also don't know anyone else who's playing it, so that's probably not a good thing. But you can go out and buy a specific miniatures pack now that you so that you know what's going to come in it, but and that has its own game. Um, but you know, I played the last D and D minis game, which I really liked, and they killed it, and so uh, I, I'm not really inclined to go and buy this minis game specifically, although, um, and I have a lot of minis, so yeah, we'll see.
2: Yeah, I mean they'll probably just kill it again, but
1: you, you got
2: they got to try things. I, I you know, can, we should also I think bring up the fact that uh, we we've been having kind of some trouble getting together for for our regular RPG session, and we started doing PISO stuff now. We've been doing um, mm-hmm.
1: Pathfinder Society right that's that was on my other list yeah we're we've been doing organized play we we've, we've every thursday uh we will go to play um or, uh, pathfinder society at a, a local game store called motherships which is a new game store to us because it's it's relatively new um and yeah actually pathfinder society i i've been really surprised in a lot of ways about how popular it is here in Austin, because they have five to six tables at Dragon's Lair every week on Monday, and they have four tables uh, on Thursday at Motherships. Uh, possibly once they had five tables even. So yeah, it's it's actually really really been doing pretty popular. Um, go ahead. Well, I, I think that because it's been out for like four years, hasn't it? Something like that,
2: yeah. But I think within our section, and I can't say you know whether or not this is you know nationwide, but I think it's only recently that it started becoming really big in this sense.
1: It, the society part, yeah, I think yeah. So in, in the last uh, in the last year is yeah. what I, is what I've heard that the numbers have been going up quite a bit. Uh, they have a new main organizer. They come out with new modules every month. They come out with you know they they support it really well. Um, they have online rules for them. They update the resources every month. Uh, they give free PDFs to uh, the people who organize these things. Yeah, no, I think Paizo is doing a really it's a really great recruiting tool for them too. Uh, as people come in and, and try it out.
2: And, and it feels just like the RPGA, and let's be honest, the reason I think 3.5, 3.0 and 3.5, I think the reason that did so well was in
1: a large part because of the RPGA. I certainly think that was part of it, and 4th edition, they didn't, they had something like that for a little bit uh, with Living Forgotten Realms, but then they abandoned it, WotC abandoned it, and they basically spaded a fan-run, fan-driven thing.
2: And, and that was a failure on their part, because... You see, so often you need engagement with your fans to to you know build that community and nurture that community. And when you do that, you get a lot of good response and you get a very strong community that that forms around it and and buys the product. And that's what we're seeing. Paizo is much better about competitive pricing, right? That's one of the things that annoys me about the D and D store, the online D and D store. Their PDFs are too expensive, Mm -hmm. right? They're like seventeen or twenty bucks for for the 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 modern stuff, whereas all the Paizo stuff are like ten bucks for the PDFs, right? Right. And so they're not being competitive on the pricing. Paizo's like, you know what? You can buy the hard copies or you can buy the PDFs. PDFs are going to be 10 bucks because you're paying for a digital copy. That's a lot better.
1: Yeah. And Paizo has the, the, I think, still think the most brilliant thing is the Adventure Paths. Uh, you subscribe, you can subscribe to the Adventure Paths and if you subscribe to the Adventure Paths, which means that you buy it every month, every single thing you buy from them is at least 15% off, including digital stuff.
2: And, and the, We've had this conversation before. I think adventure paths sell the game a lot. Yes.
1: And that's been one of our, one of our most difficult things with fourth edition. There was one adventure path officially that they made, Scales of War. Because of that, we've played that first module, like, I've played it three times. Mm
2: -hmm. And I've, I've run it online also a couple times too. I think in total I've run that, the first module, I think I've run that about five or six times. Right? And, and people want, an easy adventure that they can just you know because you can tweak it however you want, but they just want an easy adventure that they can go from one to thirty, and and just modify it however they need, and and so much of D anD D is just like haphazard stuff, right? And it's it's very annoying in that sense.
1: Yeah, and so uh, for people, I'm, i you know I'd, we might be assuming that people know what organized play is. Uh, essentially, what organized play is is it's a set of it's a framework and a set of rules by which you can um, play with other people pretty much anywhere. And assuming you're using those same set of rules, you can bring characters from place to place to place, so you don't have to play with the same group all the time. Although we choose to play with the same group all the time, uh, but you can say that you go to a convention. Uh, there's Owlcon next or this month in in Houston. We could go to Houston, take our characters, and play, you know, with whoever we want with those characters. And other people are using characters that follow the same rules, and so on and so on and so on. So it's a way, basically, yeah, to 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 have this this kind of worldwide campaign. By which you have all these characters, they offer a lot of modules for them, and just assuming that you play by these rules, you can mix and match your characters with each other. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a really great uh, system there. That uh, organized play in general. That's actually how I met uh, JJ and BJ uh, back mm-hmm. in 2003 when Holly was in Japan.
2: We uh, we were playing an RPGA. We were playing in Living Greyhawk. Um, I know. Uh, had you JJ? Had you just moved here at that point, or were you fairly no, fresh? No, I'd lived
3: here. I'd lived here for a while. I lived here since uh, ninety eight. So. Oh okay. Um. Yeah, I just I was just getting back into the gaming. I got married in ninety nine, and didn't want my wife to think I was a total geek, and so I slowly, <laughs> uh, in in uh, you
1: know, got her into gaming as well, and so you know anyway and then then, yeah and then for me 2000 was it 2003 i was you know my gaming group had by that time uh had dissolved you know we went to college graduated people kind of went to the four winds holly went to japan um and uh and yeah so i was looking for some games to play and i and i had also gone through a period of a few years where i hadn't played a lot of rpgs Mm -hmm. um and uh coming back to that uh, that, yeah I decided to try it out because uh it actually was one guy, one guy who recruited all of us Tom Brister uh, yeah. recruited all of us, and i wasn 't going to do it, but he seemed he, he was really enthusiastic and, I, and 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 you know came up and talked to me and made it sound awesome so i 'm like okay i 'll give it a shot, and that 's how I met these folks
2: yep tom we we got to do a shout out to Tom. He is an amazing uh, he was the one, the best gm i 've ever played with uh, yeah. really was real both really fair but also was really good at Presenting the campaign in a logical fashion, you know, and and making encounters uh, difficult and challenging but not deadly and stuff, and and made really showed I think was a he was a mentor to all of us in, on our GM style, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so he organized all of us and said, hey, you guys need to play RPGA. He recruited me also and and Jason, and so we all got into the RPGA. We all started playing around the same time, and so we ended up just all playing together. Um, and here's the funny thing. Since Pathfinder uses you know three point five rules slightly modified, we, the funny thing is, is, we realized we were playing like when we started getting into Pathfinder Society, it was like a ten year anniversary for us because yes. yeah. it, it was almost exactly ten years ago that we started playing together with our these characters. Two thousand three. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and and it was just so funny that we you know. I don't know about you, but it felt like we we are all just back where we were exactly where we were ten years ago. We're all a little bit bigger, maybe have less hair, and and, and rather than haul around a bunch of books, although uh, Carlos still hauls around a bunch of books, we all have tablets and stuff at the table with us now. I have, I have the tablets too. <laughs> right. So our our Carlos game... does
3: the books and the
2: tablets. Yeah. Uh, so our game has just like evolved to that degree, right? It's like we're it's like we're playing in the future. So. I know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I mean Tom Tom went out, he lives in Chicago now, he's a VP at a company. I mean he's he's doing really well himself. Is he
2: a VP now?
1: He's a VP now. Oh no. holy crap. Yeah. Yep, and, uh, and, and it I means still super nice. Holly and I got stuck in Chicago a couple of years ago, and we stayed at his place. <laughs> Cause he's like, a
0: really lovely person.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and just like out of the blue, he's like, yeah, no, feel free to stay here. It's like, and I'm sure
3: <laughs> he appreciates being lovely too. I think yeah. that's, yeah. that's exciting. For him. <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, anything else we want to say about organized play? Anyway, give it a shot. I mean, if you're interested in organized play, you can. If you have any questions, ask us about it. Uh, we can hook you up. We can. T- I can tell you who to contact, no matter where you are in the world. You know, if you're in Japan, let me. You know, if you're interested, let me know. I can find the person. Um, yeah. So it's it's. Uh, and you can also. Oh, one nice thing about organized play is you can do it online, and get yep. full credit for it as well.
2: I think it's really good for people to kind of break themselves out of their gaming bubble. I think we get a little bit too homogenized in, in our gaming, um, routine. And I think it's good to do stuff like that to kind of expand our horizons a little bit.
1: Cool. All right. Anything else before the next topic?
2: Uh, I got nothing off the
1: top of my head. JJ, you got anything? I'm good. So I've got three more topics to mention today specifically. Um, I'm going to, since we often do, I'm going to talk about Kickstarter real quick. Is anybody following anything on Kickstarter? We ended up getting the dice rings.
2: Oh, did you? Yeah, oh. when I showed that to Beck, she was really interested, and so my my wife uh, wanted me to get a couple dice rings. So we we did one of the orders, and we we're going to get three dice rings.
1: Yeah, that's cool. All right, I want to see those when they come out. No, I, I haven't been. I have not been buying Kickstarters very much because I, you know we're trying to save up for laminating the floor and stuff um but uh yeah uh we've i've gotten i've been watching some kickstarters and there was just some that i was going to mention here um so you might know nworld uh where we got those adventure paths like zeitgeist and war of the Running skies and stuff like that they got hacked um uh last month and one of the things they're doing now is they're doing a kickstarter to help uh rebuild nworld and in the hacking they lost a lot of their stuff that they had had, like the gamers seeking gamers stuff. They lost some of the tools, the online tools that they had, uh, because their servers were basically destroyed, and they didn't have either they or their providers. Like the backups didn't work properly, so there were some uh, some bad consequences of that that attack. So they're raising money to rebuild N World, and they've actually far surpassed their their. Uh, their uh, their original goal, and they're gonna try, and they yeah they they're promising a bunch of stuff based on that. Um, you can it's on the Kickstarter project. It is called Rebuilding N World. That's E N Space World. It stands for Eric Noah World, who used to be the owner of the site. Um, but yeah, so they're they're getting new servers. They're doing site optimization, security. They're trying to build a campaign manager and some stuff like that uh, to add it to the site itself. Nice. So yeah, that should be interesting. Um, other projects are. Um, there is a. If some of you might know of an old RPG. I think I, I don't exactly know. It, it, I think it was in the '80s uh, that it came out called Tunnels and Trolls. Have you Have you ever heard of that?
2: Doesn't sound familiar.
1: So there's an old RPG. It's 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 so it's not quite d and D based RPG, but it's very similar uh, to Dungeons and Dragons. And they are coming out with uh, for the first time in decades. They are coming out with a. Um, a new version. And so they have a Kickstarter called Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls. they it's going to be their first uh their first reprinting in some time. Um, it, let's see, when did it first come out? It, actually it was first published in 1975. So yeah, they're doing the new version now. Uh it's supposed there's got some interesting people associated with it. People are kind of excited about it, especially if you like kind of those old style games. Uh, people are pretty happy about Tunnels and Trolls, so I'm looking at that one. Uh, also looking at um, there's a Pathfinder RPG called the it's spelled like the grande temple of jing but i'm not sure if they want to pronounce it the grand temple of jing but that's going to be a giant pathfinder mega dungeon that some people are also excited about it's got a bunch of contributors including jonathan tweet uh, who did you know DD third edition ars magica 13th age monty cook skip williams matt mayfield dave gross chris Premus like all kinds of names that are going to be contributing to this mega dungeon. Uh, so if you're looking for yeah. a, a big awesome adventure, that's probably going to be pretty cool. Um, the last one I wanted to mention was Realmworks. So, um, I use, and, and I know you guys have used a program called Hero Lab, uh, to create characters and they have, and Hero Lab is a character creation, um, uh, program computer program that can do you know I use it for Pathfinder and I've got it also the Savage Worlds and Mutants and Masterminds and does a really great job of helping you build these characters. Well, they are doing a Kickstarter for RealmWorks, and what this is is a, a, a completely cloud-based RPG campaign organization tool. Um, hmm. There's going to be free stuff. There's going to be pay stuff. Uh, you know, but yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, it lets you, but it's, it is similar to a lot of other of these other things that we've seen as far as online tools. But it's it's all cloud based. It looks kind of interesting. It's got stuff like fog of war. It's got dice rollers. It's got tracking. It's got uh, maps and stuff like that. So it also looks kind of interesting. Uh, I, I'm going to keep an eye on it uh, and see how it goes over the next couple weeks.
2: Uh, these, uh, these campaign managers are becoming more and more popular. Yes. All, all this stuff for playing online with the map tools and the roll 20 and, and there's a ton more out there. It's, it's, the, the amount of that you can do online now is just becoming kind of staggering, honestly.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Alright, any other Kickstarters people want to mention?
2: Well, I want to talk about, God, what was that one with the lanterns that I was, I almost bought into? Um, God, JJ, do you remember that one? The one that was the board game with the lanterns?
1: I don't. Was it um, Monster? Was it Monster? Kingdom yeah.
2: Death? Monster? Kingdom Death? Let's see. I think it was, uh, it was basically, I think, yeah, I think it was Kingdom Death, but basically it was this, uh, this board game where you, like, create everything. Yeah, Kingdom Death Monster. You, it, it's very highly stylized, you know, high, a lot of high art and stuff like that. And it's—I think the Kickstarter for it's over. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't you remember that one? It was crazy. They had a—they had a goal of thirty-five thousand, and they ended up making two million off of it, which is just ridiculous, right? You know, it has the
3: crazy awesome minis on it. They're just amazingly detailed minis.
2: But you still have to like put them together yourself, like because it's. When you play, basically you, your, um, characters, unknown characters who wake up in a cavern surrounded by lanterns, there are monsters out there, you end up establishing like a colony within this cavern, you build things to build yourself weapons from the monsters you kill, and you're all, you're, you're working your way to kill off the main guy that's like, you know, keeper of the lanterns or something like that. It's supposed to be a very deadly game, it's a co-op game, but it's meant to be a very deadly game in which you die multiple times and, and you can get better gear and stuff like that. It, It looked really interesting, but, the the buy in for it was like started at a hundred bucks to really get the, the core game and everything you need to play and it was just too right. much right so that that looked interesting I'm, I I really want to see I, I might buy the game after it comes out after I see like official reviews of it because it looked like a lot of it was still undecided when I w- watched the gameplay trailers they they there was a lot of mechanics that still hadn't been fully fleshed out a lot of artwork that still hadn't been fully fleshed out so I want to wait till everything's done. Right. Before I buy the game, because it looks still a little too rough.
1: Yeah, 100 bucks, 100 bucks was a lot to put down for a game that you have no idea how it's gonna play.
2: Yeah, really the only thing that had going for it was high art and co-op rules. Yeah,
3: I'm not sure my wife would let me have any of these minis.
1: The minis are a little much,
2: yes. A little racy. There's, there's, there's some, there's some, you know, some some cleavage stuff going on there. Yes. Yes. A little bit. A little bit.
1: Alright. Um, other Kickstarter.
2: The uh, the um Pathfinder Online,
1: right? Pathfinder Online. Uh, so and they then, were down to the minute on that one. They were yeah, they were down pretty pretty. So Pathfinder Online, uh, this is actually their second Kickstarter. Their first their first Kickstarter was to do a uh, tech demo, basically, which they did. They did the tech demo. They used it to get venture capital, and they raised enough money to make. Um, to make the MMO. So they, but they decided to do a second Kickstarter. And the second Kickstarter, the point of this one was to raise a million dollars so that they could get the MMO out, MMO out faster. That was, that was the entire, the entire premise of the second Kickstarter, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, they made their million dollars in the last few hours. If you listen to Ryan Dancy, who's the CEO of the hit he said that was, that was the, the plan the entire time. Sure. But, <laughs> yeah, um, right. he, but, how uh, can
2: he honestly say that? Cause everyone's dream is to have an awesome, like, Kickstarter and get, you know, like, like the freaking monster one that we just reviewed. It almost got ten times what their original goal was. That's everyone's dream when they do a, uh, a Kickstarter.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but they, you know, they, they, they did, they did make it. There's some interesting stuff coming out as a result of it. There's going to be a new mega dungeon with, uh, authors. Let's see, who's working on it? Ed Greenwood, Eric Mona. Frank Mincer, do y'all who did the red box, the original D&D red box? That's astonishing that he's come out of retirement, basically, in some ways, to come out and do this. James Jacobs, James Sutter, Jason Bullman, you know, Chris all these Pramice,
2: people. Chris Pramus. Yep. Chris Pramus, he did the it, Dragon Age RPG.
1: Yep. Keith Baker, who created Eberron. Here's another interesting one. Mike Reinhagen, who created Vampire the Masquerade. Really? Which, yes, he's doing a thing. Michael Stagpole, who's a pretty famous author. Rich Baker, Wes Schneider, Wolfgang Bauer. Yeah, all these people. So they've got giant, you know, names doing this dungeon.
2: No. Is- you may call me a pessimist, but aren't you just a little worried with that many big names and, and let's, let's face it, egos there that it, it's gonna create some conflict?
1: Oh, it, it probably will, uh, but each one of them is basically given a floor of the mega dungeon. Okay. So, so hopefully that will balance that out. We'll see what happens. Okay. Mega dungeon. Ooh. Yep, and that's, and that mega dungeon is is I think might be in the Pathfinder Online game, but it's going to be in a giant adventure that basically that they're selling as a result of this. So uh, yeah, you'll be able to purchase it as a Pathfinder RPG book.
2: This is another one that I watched, but I didn't invest in because I didn't feel like we had enough information on the actual game. Right? It's it's they're throwing a lot of good names at me, and I completely understand that, and I completely get it. But I, I felt there was a lot missing for me to invest, in. so I just because I know that. When it comes out, you'll be able to buy it as a standalone, right? So I, d- I felt like I could invest in it just yet because it, it, it didn't sh- it didn't give me enough to make me say, okay, these are going to be the mechanics, you know, these are going to be the the leveling system or something like that. Are they actually using like core Pathfinder mechanics, or are they going to tweak it a little bit, like you know Dungeons and Dragons Online did? So I, there just wasn't enough info there for me to to throw in my money, right? So and. Um,
1: Let's see, what else? Did you have any other Kickstarters? That was it for my Kickstarters.
2: Okay, I thought I had one more, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm misremembering.
1: So, um, let's move briefly to tabletop and then, so we'll do tabletop next and then video games. And I think those are my last two big, broad topics. So the first tabletop I wanted to talk about is, um, one that we actually, that I played, uh, only in the last month or so. And I also played it again with JJ. And it is a game that is kind of part storytelling game, part tabletop thing called... It, it's, more, it's more an RPG than tabletop, but it's something done in like three to four hours. It's called Fiasco. Um, it is by Bully Pulpit Games. It is a GM-less kind of RPG for three to five players. Takes somewhere between two and four hours to play. And uses uh, six-sided dice for the most part, although they're not actually used for counting. This is one of those things where the dice aren't used for the numbers they do, but basically to to kind of um, choose things. So, for example, you roll a bunch of dice and say you come up with a three, a four, a five, a six. Well, you can take that three, four, five, six and use that to choose elements of this story. Uh, the stories are inspired by things like Coen Brothers, like Fargo, like uh, Blood Simple, like Burn After Reading, stuff like that. And basically you choose a playset. So play sets are going to be something like Smallwood Western Town, uh, the one that, that we did with, uh, with with JJ here was uh, an Asian themed one, right? Where we had to discover find see, What was it called?
3: Uh, the golden panda, the missing panda, Miss- something right. like that. And that
1: was kind of like a um, crouching tiger, hidden dragon type game. Yeah. And and something like that. And the other one I played was something more of like the Fargo kind of crime type game. But there's there's all kinds of scenarios which they offer for free on that you can download from online. And it basically is this set of rules that you can get together to tell a story. It's a lot of fun. It is a really interesting game. Um I I think we should definitely give it a shot more often. Um because you it, it is it is one of the best game mechanics I've seen, mechanical way of encouraging storytelling, like role playing. Mm
2: basically. And so here's some advice I want to give people. There's a great YouTube series called Tabletop with Will Wheaton, where he basically invites people in the gaming industry and stars, you know, these, these movie stars from, you know, stuff that he's done uh, on TV shows and movies to come and play games with him. And so Fiasco is one of the ones he did on the tabletop series. And it's a great way to see, a tabletop game, if you're unsure on whether or not you want to play it, and and the Fiasco game, like you said, cooperative story playing, they take out the competitive mechanics and the mechanics to try and you know um, really quantify you know numerical values and stuff like that, and it's just a matter of you know basically the mechanics are derived to tell a cooperative story, and it, it's it's it looks like a lot of
1: fun. Yeah, it is, and we definitely have to try it as a group sometime, and I think we're going to, right? That's yeah,
3: uh, we'll definitely do it for my birthday party, um, but, I mean, I, we can do it before then sometime, yeah, too, because yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, uh, yeah, I I want to play it a few more times, too, and just yeah. uh, get a better feel for it and stuff. But, uh, yeah, and even my wife, who was a little bit apprehensive of uh, coming up with a story on the spot, as it were, um, she really enjoyed it and, uh, really had a good time, so.
1: Right. In a lot of ways, the story kind of writes itself based on your choices. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think Holly felt the same way as I write. mm A bit apprehensive about being put on the spot, but I think, I think you'd actually enjoy it. There's also a fiasco companion. So rather, th- which has basically rules for, rather than the Coen Brothers Fargo type movie, uh, it becomes a John Hughes movie. So something like The Breakfast Club or Weird Science or 16 Candles or something like that. And which could also be kind of a fun, uh, a fun variation, I think.
2: That's what I would be interested in.
1: Yeah.
2: That's, you know, the John, anything John Hughes, I'm in.
1: <laughs> Home Alone? Okay. If we
2: can do a Fer- Ferris Bueller version, <laughs> then that would just be more awesome.
1: <laughs> yes, we can totally do that.
2: Yeah. So that's... Uh, and, and like I said, there, there's a bunch of good games on Tabletop to Watch. Um, if you want to get an idea for... Because I think some people might be a little hesitant just because of how we're selling it as a mechanics list or, or a... Um, quantitative, you know, way of of telling who wins or what have you. Watch it. Great times and and start watching the tabletop series in general cuz it's just awesome.
1: And yeah, and and yeah. this is and this this game it is one that kind of has winners and losers, but not really. I mean, yeah. it's it's mostly really,
3: everybody loses to well, some extent.
1: <laughs> right, but it's even even then it's more like it's 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 the story that is the fun part and the part mm-hmm. of it. So, yeah. Uh some- Part of
3: the part of it is is uh, just seeing how tragic you can make your character you know? <laughs> is I mean, that, that is that is kind of fun to yes. see. Yes. And uh, and uh, honestly, I guess I almost made my uh, my sister in law cry at one point. She from, did some sort of it. things. She was just like, "That is so sad." I'm like, "Yeah, it had to be bad."
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it was. It was. Uh, it, yeah, it was truly tragic. It was. It was great. Um, other game today we tried for the first time: the Game of Thrones. So the, the board game. The board game. Yeah. A Game of,
3: a game of Thrones, a board game. Yes, which a, I think is, you have to say it like that. A game of
1: Thrones, the board like game. Right.
3: Legal ramifications. T- TM.
1: Yeah. So originally this game first came out in 2003. Uh, the one that we play today was the second edition, which came out in 2011. Um, and it is basically a game where you get one of the, you become one of the houses, uh, of, of the Game of Thrones. Uh, Stark, Lannister, Baratheon, Greyjoy, um, Tyrell and Martell are the, the, if everybody plays. And yeah, and you try to take over the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, it is a game that has been described a lot like Diplomacy for people who have played Diplomacy. Um, and you have basically these these rounds where you know one person's the king, one person has the the iron the uh, Iron Throne. One person is is like the spy master who has the Raven. One person's the has control of the fiefdoms, and those give you different benefits. And you use your influence to bid for you know who, who's in control over those things. You uh, you muster up your troops. You attack each other. Uh, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a fun game. I thought it was pretty interesting.
3: And BJ, don't say anything yet.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I, I, I I
3: go for it. Well, I I just want to. There is uh there's some some kind of um, what would you call it? Um, it seems to be weighted to for one person to win if you don't play the six player game. Um, uh, so we played the four player game version of it today and the Greyjoys just kind of seemed to get the shaft. They were kind of in the middle of everybody and just kind of couldn't get the find their way out.
1: Uh, Everyone attacked them.
3: Everybody attacked <laughs> them and stuff. Um, I, I think now that we played it once, there's probably some different strategies we could use there. Yes. But, uh, BJ un, unfortunately was Greyjoy and, uh, Uh, probably didn't have as good a time as the rest of us. Um, And and now that I
2: I have some time behind it, I I enjoyed it. I I still kind of stick by my gun, saying I'm used to some of the other games we play, like Civ, like Twilight Imperium, like these games that generate random maps and are designed to be a bit more balanced for starting areas and such. This game didn't seem to do that. It, It has a static board map. Uh, so when you play the Greyjoys, you're always going to be kind of squished between, you know, right. places that are not, you know, that have more room to kind of expand. Um, so I, I got a little temperamental during the game. Not too bad, but I was just a little bit annoyed <laughs> because I couldn't get out. So I felt like I was restrained within, like, four, like, territories that I couldn't really get out of, right? And so it was just annoying and, and frustrating, and I kind of wanted to just give up because I felt like there's nothing I could do. And so, uh, but... You know, we'll have to play it again.
1: We yeah. will. We will have to play it again. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I, I had a good time. Um, it was pretty down to the wire. Uh, yeah, the it end. was
3: very back and forth at the end. Yeah, so. at the end.
1: Uh, so, yeah, that was, it was it was very interesting. Um, okay, so we've got a couple, any other board game stuff you wanted to mention?
3: Uh, well, we've played Civ since then. Um, oh right! Since the last time
2: we podcasted, we play. Uh, yeah, we have played Civilization.
1: I really um, want
3: to
2: talk about that one because that game impresses the hell out of me. Yeah,
3: that, that's a really well balanced game, and I, I I do really enjoy it.
2: I don't know about you guys, but have you noticed that every time we end that game, it seems like a lot of people are very close to winning?
1: Yes. Yes. There,
2: it There's never been a game that we've played so far where one person was like just the you know out and out winner was like you know ahead to above everyone else. It, it really is down to the wire for everybody in that game. Right. And yeah, so it's it's very I think it's very well balanced in that aspect. Combat's a little silly. I, I think they could have done <laughs> <Yeah>. combat. <movements. laughs>
1: and like like Game of Thrones, it is also by Fantasy Flight Games. They, they yeah. do that. They also played made Civilization uh, came out in 2010. Um, also a tactics/strategy slash game has yeah, and there are multiple paths to victory.
2: That's the other thing I enjoy because we've played that a couple times now and I've done like a combat path and I've done a technology path and and uh, Scott did the uh the um uh, culture culture path, right? So mm-hmm. that's the other thing I enjoy about it is that there are you don't have to be very warmongering, You can try different things to win, and I, I enjoy those different paths. JJ snuck up on us and just won through gold the first the time. First was a, game. The first
1: yeah. win. yeah. Now we watch as gold. Yeah, now we, now we <laughs> die on him. But I can't get away then, with anything now.
2: Even then, <laughs> even in I was like like this close, it just a wire down to, to to winning with a tech victory. Also,
1: me, me too. Yeah, last yeah. time so was I, and then Scott pulled it out with a culture victory at the last second. So. so. Yeah, uh,
2: I really recommend that game just because of how well balanced it is. When you get to combat, it'll be really annoying because it, it won't be that sensical. We'll have to post like a YouTube the the YouTube video we had to watch to understand combat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. The the uh, the other int- and I like I thought it was a pretty decent conversion of the Civilization video game, which is something that doesn't happen a lot, I think, in these board yeah. games. But you know, you have the technology tree that you build over time. You have all the you know. So I yeah I was I was really happy with it.
2: The random map and and all the good stuff. Yeah. So I, I think they did a great job with it. Yeah. So any other uh, tabletop games? Not right now. We got to try the, uh, the, Wars, um, oh, the the Star Wars. Oh, uh, the Star Trek. The Star Trek. What is it? Catan? or no? Not Catan.
1: I haven't seen that. Oh yeah, there is a Star Trek Catan.
2: Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking about. Star Trek Catan. So that's. That. Uh, hmm.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say there is a new Star Wars game as well. Uh, there's two new Star Wars games actually. I think there's a new Star Wars miniatures game which is supposed to be okay, and a new Star Wars card game, which is supposed to be all right too.
2: And then the Star Wars effect?
1: tabletop game. Yeah, uh, I think the card game is just uh,
3: two players, though. Yes, I don't know. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah.
1: Um, okay, so video games. I've got so I've been playing two video games in the last uh, in the last couple months. One of them quite a bit, and one of them only relatively recently. So uh, I'll talk about the first one that I've been playing quite a bit recently because uh, uh, Holly and I have been playing that a bit, and that one is World of Warcraft. And I know BJ, you tried it for a little bit. Uh, with the, the ten day members. trial yes, with pandaria ten day trial type thing, um, but yeah, world of warcraft Panda- uh, pandaria of course is the latest expansion has been introduced uh, a lot of new things to the game um, and one of the one of the things that 's both good and bad about it is that most uh, I, I, maybe not even most well I would say most most of the new stuff you can really only get to once you 're level ninety. A lot of the new content you can only do once you're max level. So uh, I
0: think that's a strength rather than a weakness.
1: Well, in one sense, yes, because um because in game is always a big deal for a lot of video games. I mean look how Star Wars kinda crashed at the end game. Uh, and and that is definitely a strength. One of the bad things about it though is that I know some people who've tried it <coughs> and because they were using like the trials or the tests and stuff like that, they couldn't get to that because they're not allowed to do that with the trials and the tests and stuff that they used. <coughs> But yeah, uh I think I think mostly though that's a good thing. But they also introduced a lot of new adventure types. So it's not it's not just like gather, kill, whatever, whatever. There's actual new mechanics for stuff, like which they kind of did before with um with like machines and and vehicles and stuff like that. You got more of that. You have now you have a farmville type game which is weirdly addicting at, at you know, especially early on, and you've got a a pokemon game. And the yeah, po- they had
3: have- they had a zombie versus flowers they, too. Yes, at one they, point.
1: yes, they do. They still have plants versus zombies there. Which yeah, that's also, what it is. That's actually what introduced yeah. me to plants versus
0: zombies. Kind plants. of out
1: of the way. Yeah. But that's what introduced me to the game plants versus zombies, actually, the, the wow version, which I really liked. Um, and then I went out and got the actual game, but, uh, yeah, so it, I, I've been really, really happy with Pandaria so far. I hit max level. Um, our guild is tiny, so we don't get a chance to do like dungeon stuff like that, but we have done scenarios. So they introduced like these mini dungeon type things and I actually started playing, um, in the Paizo guild on another server, uh, with some, with some of the Paizo developers, uh, which is kind of interesting. And I, I created a monk. Last week, which is one of the new character classes that they did, and I've gotten to level fifty so far. Um, and monks are awesome. That's that's pretty much what I have to say about that. Um, <laughs> are you are you a panda? No, I'm not actually a panda. What? No, I I made a panda. I know, munk. right? I made a panda muck on our on our actual on our regular server, but I I chose to be a human for a number of reasons on on the other server. One of which is all the reputation bonuses because I didn't want to have to grind reputation again on this other server. Oh, wow. but um. But yeah, no, Holly, uh, what did you, what, what, what have you, uh, thought about Warcraft so far?
0: Well, in terms of way.
1: <laughs> what? What do you, what do you like about this? Cause you, you play a lot more than I do.
0: Oh, okay. So just in terms of general. Yeah. I am totally here to evangelize for my pandas because I, so I played Warcraft when it first came out and then I didn't play it from through Burning Crusade and then through Lich King and then we started again sometime couple months after Lich King, I guess. Right. All right. Um, and then we played through Cataclysm. And that was all fine. It was nice. But when Pandaria came out, it was beautiful. Um, I definitely have in... You know, I lived in Japan. I, I have a, a fondness for Asian things. But the world is just glorious to live in. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um,
1: and one of the one of the things that I like that they did, yeah, it's definitely they have a very very strong Asian aesthetic with Bandaria. Pretty pretty, I mean, obviously obviously, but one of my favorite parts about that is the cloud dragons. I love flying on cloud dragons, which are those long sinuously uh, sinuous uh, hmm. dragon things. They are gorgeous. And they are awesome, and and it's so great because in order to get one. You, you have to hit level 90 before you can go get one. And what you do is you get a baby dragon. You rescue a baby dragon. And over a period of time, you raise it from a little baby dragon to that big cloud dragon that you ride up on. That's how you get your first one. Yeah, it is, it's awesome. It is terrific.
3: And Holly, have you, have you got all the new pets yet?
0: Um, I have 487 pets. Oh my God. We're talking Pokemon pets. 487 Pokemon pets. Right.
2: Oh, well,
3: I'm working I don't on know. a
0: couple. There's about 10 that I still need
3: to get. Right. Holly I got- just remember when I played with Holly back in the day that, that, that's what we'd do. We'd go and we'd search for pets and do
0: that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Holly has, uh, uh, still has more achievement points than anybody else in our guild. More achievement points actually than anybody else in the Paizo guild. And I think she's probably one of the, I'm sure she's in the top like 2% for server pets. Uh, has to wow. be. Yeah.
0: That's possible.
1: Yeah, so. I yeah. think,
0: I think pointing out the, the cloud serpent is a good illustration of the fact that it, it not only introduced a bunch of new races, but also a bunch of different reputations. And a lot of those, um, reputations aren't just, um, ones that you can get through dungeons, but a lot of them are profession driven, like right. the lore masters. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And the lore masters can give you a flying cloud when you get to exhausted with them that you can ride around on a flying cloud, which is kind of awesome too.
0: I have to say Pandaria has been really generous with um vanity pets and vanity mouth, especially in terms of like what they'll give you in quests. Like they finally figured out it costs them nothing to give you fun things and so you get lots of fun things. There's rares who roam around the world and they have a chance to drop like vanity items that just do silly things. Hmm. So it gives you You have a reason to run around and kill people.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. And, you know, not just achievements, but other stuff like that, too. And they've actually – Blizzard has actually been pretty darn good about – again, one thing that Star Wars really should have done is Blizzard's been good about putting out content regularly. So just as we, you know, and we, we, we did to get to exalted, you know, almost as soon as we possibly could with all the different factions. And when I say we, I mean Holly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am still not exalted with all the different factions in Pandaria. Holly did, but Holly got there like pretty much as fast as you possibly could. And I think that week they came out with a bunch of new content. Landfall, right?
0: Landfall. Yes. Actually, I think landfall kind of encapsulates some of the best qualities of Pandaria. Um, it's basically, it, it came out with a 5.1, right? 5.1 yep. was planned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Horde and the Alliance have arrived in Pandaria. And as far as I'm concerned, they both need to just go back and go home. So that's <laughs> kind of what the story is about. Um, so in terms of, um, you know, coming with them, coming with their reputation, they had daily quests. And I think one of the things about Pandaria is where you used to have a hub of daily quests that would maybe be like five quests. Now the hubs are have a lot more varied um, paths for quests. There's a lot more daily quests, so you don't quite get as bored. But even as you're gaining reputation with um, Shield Wall for the Alliance, because I never play Um it unlocks story quests along the way. So, and not even just at like you know your normal Honored, um, Revered reputation like those uh, waypoints, but in between each of those waypoints. You go back and you see that, hey, I've got a new story part of the quest, which is really great. And I, I, was, I was talking to Carlos. So I don't know how much of the story I should ruin, but, you know, you end up going to wake up the Monkey King. And mm-hmm. um, you go to Delaren and see the huge battle take place over the control of Dalaran and Jaina. And um, it's a pretty epic storyline that goes on there. And it ends with, um, well... Yeah, no, okay. you didn't want
1: you didn't want to spoil it, but you, I don't you, want to you, spoil you, the end. But you, but you love but, the end. <laughs> yeah, and you can do some cool things like you meet and go talk to Garrosh, and you go talk to uh, the the Horde leaders and the Alliance leaders during the quests and stuff like that, which is which is also kind of cool. I mean, Pedaria is awesome for story. Um, and although story alone can't, uh, I don't think can save a game necessarily, uh, again, Star Wars, I love the story, but the game eventually I I couldn't, couldn't do the end. Um, the story in Pandaria is really great. And I think that they did a very good job with that. And, uh, that's just one of the things that is why I'm still playing at the
0: moment. I mean, one of course, they, they created such a full world, you know, and, and there are things that you run across in the world that are there for no other reason than just to enjoy them. Right. Um, when you climb to the top of Mount Neverest, which is this huge mountain in Kunlai, there's this black serpent that flies around, and it's just really beautiful. Or um, you're fishing off of the coast of Kunlai, and all of a sudden you see a ghost. Uh, uh, a flying turtle ghost turtle. Flying through the air. <laughs> it,
1: it, and it is the sweetest thing. Uh Yeah, there is a flying ghost turtle named uh, Lonely George, is that right?
0: Something yes. like that. In, yeah, like,
1: lonesome, lones- yeah uh, lonesome George, who's based on a real... A real turtle in real life, who was the last of his specific species of Galapagos turtle, who who passed away last year. Galapagos turtle who died last year, name whose name was Lonesome George because he was the last of his kind. So it's sweet that they they Blizzard put in the little ghost turtle. And when I saw him for the first time, I thought.
0: And if you blow a kiss at him, he follows you. Or if
1: you hug him or whatever, he starts following you around. So you have this little ghost flying ghost turtle following you around. Mm -hmm. It was incredibly sweet. I, I was so happy when I saw that for the first time. It was.
0: You know, I was flying off the north coast of. Oh God. Was it cool or was it um, the Long Steps? But then there's just enormous squid in the water, oh, yeah. and there's just there's all these creatures and all these in jokes. There's um, a panda that is doing nothing but somersaulting all across the Dreadwastes.
1: Yeah, we Holly and I were very curious about this because we we were wa- we were venturing. This is before we could fly, and we saw a panda just rolling, just rolling around. And and pa- monks, if you don't know, monks in in World of Warcraft can roll around. And we found this panda rolling around in, in, in some area in Pandaria. And we were like, what, why is this panda rolling around? So we followed it and we figured out that it was just rolling around everywhere. And the panda's name was Adele. So we don't know pop culture that well <laughs> is basically what it is, but apparently it is a song called, and the place was called The Deeps. That's where she was rolling. Apparently the, the singer Adele has a song called Rolling in the Deep. Yeah. All right. Oh. Uh, all right, it's a little but meadow.
0: It, it sounds, yeah, it sounds silly, but it just, it goes to almost sort of like, it almost seems like the developers had more of a sense of joy and fun when they were developing Pandaria. Because um, when you're in Cataclysm, and especially, I felt that way really about um, Northrend, was going there was just kind of bleak. You know, it was all, it was dark Viking stuff, or, you know, it was just, you know, Wastelands of snow and it was just sad and cataclysm. There were some really funny quests that you could find every once in a while, but I mean it was just, there was something very sad about all of the areas. Everything was sort of dark and destroyed and basic. And Pandaria is like a joyful place to be in.
1: Yeah, cataclysm. I was not. I was not too fond of cataclysm. I didn't like the changes that they did with healers, and since my main guy is a healer, I wasn't too thrilled with it. In the firelands. In the firelands, like their big end game daily quest was in the firelands, and I hated those daily firelands quests. Mm -hmm. That felt like a horrible, horrible, horrible grind, and I didn't finish it. Holly did, of course, because she finished everything, but I didn't. And so I was. That, that's one of the things. And Pandaria is nothing like that. I mean, I, I I really actually like going and doing the dailies and stuff. And there are just so many you can choose to do. Um, and this won't make sense to non WoW players, but you get valor points from doing dailies now. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, not a ton, but there are so many dailies that you can get. I mean, we we've, we've bought valor gear, uh, like really high end gear, just from doing daily quests for a long time.
0: Yeah, so. I just I hate pugs. I hate them and so for, much.
1: People don't know pug stands for pickup group.
0: Right. And oh. and so we never, because we would, we did the dungeon sort of, we didn't do them in Cataclysm really because they turned out to be so long. Right. And kind of torturous. Um, but they, but you get so many um, really nice things from Reputation and being able to have those dailies that give you those valor points means that you can get the really good gear without having to deal with people. I'm
1: not a fable version. Right. Yep. Anything else you want to say about Pandaria, Holly? You, JJ?
3: almost have me sold to go back to WoW, but we I just don't know if I'll ever do it ever again.
1: <laughs> well, try the ten day oh. thing. We can we can send you a thing. You can try the free one if you want.
2: Yeah, I,
3: I tried. Yeah, I think they've sent me stuff before, mm-hmm. so
1: I, I've tried it, JJ,
2: and it was okay, but it didn't it didn't capture me it I, mean, I i did the ten days, I kind of ran around, but it you know it felt like it felt like wow, I mean don't get me wrong the 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 stuff that they've added is nice, but you know i I feel like I'm just kind of done with that game, so
1: yeah, that might be the case for you, but again you didn't you didn't get to the in game stuff, which i like I said I think that's one of the failures that, that for them right now is that a, most of the really I thought the stuff got mostly it more interesting once you hit level ninety and beat all the areas, and that's very possible, yeah mm-hmm. so. So
2: let's cover other did, gaming did news. You get,
0: did you get out of the Jade Forest when you were playing?
2: Um, I don't remember
1: where I got out of. I think I did get out of the Jade Forest, but yeah. I'm not entirely certain... Yeah, they had some weird restrictions on the Tandy thing, which I thought was weird, like level restrictions and, and stuff, which I,
2: I, I got to a certain point in the chest in the quest chain, I wasn't sure where I needed to go, Because right? it, it split off in two different directions. And and I'm used to WoW being a little bit more linear in its quest chains. And at a certain point I got dropped off and I was like, I, I don't know where I need to go at this point. So I'm Yeah,
0: little... it actually it did, but both of those um, both of those splits are valid. So I did one and then I went back and did the other. Which was kind of nice because it spread that out so you didn't just finish everything, boom, all at once.
2: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I might go back to it if there's a lull, um, and stuff, but right now, uh, JJ and I are a little bit preoccupied with Path of Exile. Mm-hmm.
3: Right,
1: and that's, and, and I'm playing that, that's the other game that I am playing. So, for Path F1, of Exile is what Diablo 3 should have been. Yes, and I'm trying to get Holly to play that even though Diablo, I got I heard her. To those
0: exact words I was to say,
1: even though I got her to play Diablo 3 and that didn't go over so well. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's exactly how I told Holly is that it's it is it's, what Diablo 3 should have been.
2: It's so true though because I felt that Blizzard made a major mistake in Diablo 3 and that they tried to dumb down the game as much as possible. So your character you almost felt like you had no choice, you know, no real control on how your character was progressing because he, you had so many limited choices. And, and you know, really you could just, you know, choose, like, a couple active skills and that's it. That's that's the only thing you could really do, right? And so your play style was already kind of predetermined by the character, the, the class you chose. And really just ground through, you know, three very similar, um, you know, acts within the thing. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. Rather than take that path, Pex- Path of Exile said, well, screw that. We're going to go the opposite way. <laughs> and character, like, determining your character spec... Is mind numbing.
1: They call
3: it the, instead of the skill tree, they call it the skill forest.
1: Yeah. There are 1,350 passive skills.
2: (laughs) Isn't that just fucking ridiculous? And, uh,
1: go ahead. Well, I mean,
2: that's, I, I think that's really. A, a, a knee-jerk response to the way Blizzard handled it, and they said, well, screw simplifying it. We're actually going to make it more complex to where you have to spend more time investing in your build. And I got to tell you, I'm more invested in my character than I ever was in Diablo, in Diablo because I have to like think about my skill tree, what skills I'm using, how they interact with my passives, plan out my, my active skills, plan out my passive skills. And I'm just a thousand times more invested in this character, and I've only played it up to like level 16 or 17 or Something like that. I'm a thousand times more invested than I ever was in Diablo. In Diablo three, yeah, I'm level fifteen. Mm-hmm. Same thing. And, and so, number one, free to play. Uh, that's the first thing we should put out there. So they, yeah.
1: it's this. Um, I think it's a New Zealand company who's doing it. It is a New Zealand company. They raised something like two point two million dollars in during their closed beta uh, crowdfunding, which is amazing without Kickstarter. Just by, just from people playing the beta mostly.
2: And they've already said that the, cause it, it uses microtransactions, but they've already said that the microtransactions are all just gonna be cosmetic.
1: Right. They're cosmetic right. and pets and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, they specifically use the phrase ethical microtransactions all over the place.
2: Which I think is great, because a, as we saw with like the Star Wars free to play, or that was just horrible. Right? <laughs> yes. Yep. We talked about that. <laughs> and so, in this one, they're saying, you know, here's the game. You're free to play the game. If you want, pretty stuff you can buy it if you don't care about that just play the game and i think it's working out really well for them
1: right and uh, so you have that skill tree for passive skills and then for active skills what you do is you equip skill gems mm-hmm. and which means that you know you get them by chance and from buying them and from trading with other people and then things like that but that means you can get any skill at all and you can get any yeah you can get any active skill
2: because that's where you know you're you're you come from the gym so you can get like a warrior skill or you can get a witch skill or whatever but you, the passive tree is shared your class determines at what place you start on the passive on, on the skill forest right but you can branch out and like the marauder the quote unquote marauder is like the barbarian but if you go down a certain plat, path in the in the marauder you can actually go and become a caster also or you can become a range guy so you actually have access to all of the passives. Your class just determines where you start in the skill forest. And so that opens up a world of possibilities.
1: Right. And there there are six classes. There's uh, and each one has some reputation some connection to strength, dexterity, intelligence. Marauder is strength and there there uh, that is that is where they start at the strength section. Yeah. Ranger is dexterity, Witch is intelligence. And then there's the three kind of between classes. So there's this duelist, which is strength dexterity, templar, which is strength intelligence, and shadow, which is dexterity intelligence. And basically your class does a couple of things. One is it's what you look like and like it, you actually have an avatar that is based on that class. So, uh, you, so like the duelist is a guy. I think there's two females, right? The ranger and the uh which are both female and then the rest are male. Uh so that's going to look the same although your the clothes you wear will also change that. Uh but other than that that's that is the only thing that's the same. I mean you 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 have you could have because of that giant skill thing every character can play completely different from every other character even of the same class.
2: So it depends on the gear you play and then the gear itself is 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 um, developed towards Either you know going to be purely int based, purely um, dex based, or purely strength based, or within the hybrids, giving you a little bit of both, right? Some armor and evasion, or some armor and some shield, or, or the uh, the energy shield stuff, right? right? So you really get to customize how your character develops down these various paths. I find it to be infinitely more well thought out than what Blizzard ever even tried to do with Diablo which is shocking to me because they had such a long development time behind it and that's what they gave us. And this just seems so more complex, well thought out, interesting, right? And it and it came out, you know, faster than Diablo 3 ever did. I think and, Diablo 3 was
3: made to make Blizzard money. I don't think Diablo 3 was made to be a game that everybody would want to play.
2: That's just that's just horrible though, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Doesn't that speak to what they think of their fan base? Sure. Okay.
1: I mean, yeah. The- yeah, yeah. And didn't they? Didn't I uh, see? I I didn't play Diablo even long enough to really determine. Don't they? Ha- didn't they have a way you could spend money like in your real life auction house type? They way? had a
2: real life yeah. money auction house, which was yeah, just that's horrible.
1: Yeah, I think I thought I thought so. And then when I heard that they implemented that, I was like, uh... That's just that's just a money a money grab and and they yes, got a and cut they cut took off. they took a cut right oh, that, that's whatever. what I mean that's what I mean like, yeah that that all that was was a money grab
2: yeah. and here's the really fu- thing I find weird Path of Exile looks like it has better graphics than Diablo three I mean uh, maybe I'm just misremembering Diablo three but it it looks like a better game
3: I think Diablo three is more cartoony and Path of Exile is more dark.
1: Yeah, they definitely have a different style, uh, yeah. graphic-wise. I'm not sure which one uses more graphics resources, honestly. Um, I am I am playing on the same computer, and they both they both use a bunch because I have everything maxed out, so it's kind of hard for me to tell. But yeah, I actually do like the aesthetic better for Path of Exile than I did for
2: mm-hmm. Diablo. Well, don't you remember when they released the first screenshots of Diablo three the 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 audience was really pissed because it didn't seem dark enough because Diablo was always a pretty dark and gritty game. Yes. And and it was too bright and it had that cartoony feel and everyone was really upset about it and and Blizzard was like, okay, we'll make it darker. Path of Exiles like did that in the beginning, like it's going to be a dark freaking game. Right. Yeah.
1: So yeah, no, I, it's, it's a game, it's a game I'm enjoying. It's free to play. So that's pretty interesting as well.
2: So really there's no reason not to play it because the, you know, free to play, all you got to do is sign up and make an account and, you know, download it, you get to play. The microtransactions, like we already said, cosmetic only. So you can play through friends. We, well, that's what we've been doing is we've been playing through all the acts together, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Well, I've been playing with Jim, and yeah, that's been pretty interesting because he he played in the closed beta and he played for quite a while in the closed beta, so uh, he knows basically what to do and has been uh, been going around with him. So yeah. yeah, I mean, and we got to level fifteen in two days, uh, so that's not anything there. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, is it so? It's it's still technically in beta, quote unquote. I think at this
1: point. But there's no more character wipes.
2: Yeah, they're not going to do any character wipes. So with a character you make now, is gonna, you can have that put at release. And I think the reason they took it out of beta is because they're charging money for the transactions now, and people wanted to be able to keep their characters. I think they started to realize that they have a real winner on their hands because it's been getting a lot of publicity recently. So they're like, all right, mm-hmm. we need to go in sort of a semi-release state,
1: right? Yep. Yep, and this open beta. I mean, they've they've announced it, it started January twenty third, and they, so far it's been great. I mean, the servers have been able to handle it. The network stuff has been decent. Uh, they've they've had a couple of days where they've had connection issues, but nothing major, and certainly better than Diablo did at, on its mm-hmm. first couple of days. Isn't that just so, shocking? It is shocking. Yes, considering that you know Blizzard, when Diablo and when Starcraft, the first games came out. Blizzard was the pinnacle, the cutting edge of network technology. They developed stuff for networks specifically that improved networks for like the world. And yeah, that the, that that this kind of that this indie company did a better job with network stuff than Blizzard did is kind of embarrassing. I,
2: I think it's incredibly embarrassing that that a company basically was founded by people who were that upset on the release of Diablo three that they were like, we're yes. gonna do it better, and they yep. they have. And they're making a shitload of money at it. Yep. So, and, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think, like, they could, like, do you think Blizzard could sue them for, you know, making a clone of their game that's better than their game? No. Because I wouldn't put it past them to try.
1: I mean, they, you, in the sense that you can sue anybody for any purpose whatsoever, yes, but no, they don't really have a case. Because you can't, uh,. They didn't patent anything. You can't copyright ideas. Blizzard's already lost some copyright. They've lost and won copyright infringement suits, but the kinds of fun stuff that they've won is for people who are literally copying code to do things, uh, and also breaking like stuff like end user agreements. That's not the case here. So no, I don't, I don't think Blizzard has any kind of case whatsoever.
2: Okay. <clears throat> okay. So, I mean, I don't want them to get like the Jonathan Col- Colton treatment or anything like that. So.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, so far from what I've seen, so Pandaria was a big hit for Blizzard. I mean, they 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 picked up a lot, They uh, like another million subscribers again, and, and that's trickled off some. Pandaria has been a pretty big hit. Blizzard three, uh, Diablo three, disaster. Oh, I, I, it's horrible, horrible, horrible disaster. So I'm kind of I don't know what's how StarCraft two is going to be. I think that's going to have a big uh, effect on the company Blizzard. The
3: uh, the expansion you mean?
1: The, yeah, yeah. The new the new StarCraft two I think is going to have a big effect. On uh, on what uh, Blizzard's going to do because they've been criticized uh, recently because especially with the first StarCraft is that they really tried to cater to like the league playing, in in some ways, and to, to, to such an extent that they really kind of excluded both the casual playings with their development of maps and with some of the rules and whatever whatever. So a lot of people who played that kind of you know casual game uh, for StarCraft and this was something I think that even came out in Forbes. It was Forbes you know making this this accusation. Those people who played StarCraft, uh, ended up going to games like, um, like, uh, League of Legends.
2: Yeah. And League mm-hmm. of Legends has been doing better in enforcing the rules. They kicked out, they recently put perma bans on like four of their major, um, tournament players for, uh, misconduct. And no, now those players can never play again ever. Even if they sign up for new accounts, they have a perma life ban.
1: Right. For- and not only that, but oh. League of Legends has been very innovative in, trying to um improve community behavior. Yeah. So it it they both punish people who behave badly and reward people who um who behave well. And they actually have like academics working on this. Like yeah. Mobafire, the company who does League of Legends, trying to figure out how how can you build a good community? And it's been really successful. So, yeah, so I, I you know, that's one of the things is that that Blizzard has not been doing that, which is again, it's a it's a situation where you have these big monolithic Not monolithic, but this basically this big companies making their business decisions for whatever, you know, make money, whatever reasons, and bad things happen. And that seems like a theme that we see a lot around here.
2: Well, it's becoming more prevalent from Blizzard. Remember when one of the original creators of Diablo came out and criticized it for its inventory management? And the actual people who worked on Diablo 3, he... He was very polite in the way he did it, right? He he was very restrained. He said, "You know, I I have some problems with the inventory system and and their item management. I think they made missteps there, blah blah blah, very neutral, you know, very very well-formed opinions that a lot of people agreed with." And what did the uh, creators of Diablo 3 came out and do? Do they get on Twitter and Facebook and they just cuss this guy out, right? And and mm-hmm. that is not the way to engage the community. And and it just I I think it made them look really bad that they are not willing to own their mistakes. They think they're, you know, gods of gaming, which they're obviously not, you know, and, and I, I don't know. I, I think they're making a lot of missteps in their business, and that they're just relying on World of Warcraft to just be this cash cow. So, that's, that's, that's my opinion in a nutshell. So.
3: Blizzard bad.
2: <laughs> Blizzard bad. There was a, a. I was wondering how long that awkward silence was going to go. So <laughs> I had I was to like, break I, it. I'd I can something. only. I can only rant so long
1: about you. You know like what? I was. Up. I was actually talking, and I didn't realize that I was muted. Oh, yeah, I heard
0: you talking. In room.
1: <laughs> That's funny. No, what I what I was saying was no. What I was saying though was that yeah, uh, World of Warcraft does it. It is. It is. It's good. It's still successful, but they have to be able to. They have such great properties. They have to be able to support those other properties in such a way that the fans like it. Yeah. I mean, so and and they're not they're not doing that. So it,
3: feel, it feels like George Lucas all over again. Really.
1: It feels like Watsy. It feels like Hasbro with yeah. Pony, like, It feels like yeah. you know all these companies when 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 they start looking at short term financial goals, they just seem to do these major major missteps and they stop engaging with the fans. They make these silly decisions and you got these upstarts: the Path of Exile, Mobafire. All these people doing great, great, more affordable games. So of course
2: we we say the same thing happening over and over again in that these games that are doing so well that are toppling these giants do it because they engage the community, they work with the community.
1: Yes, exactly right.
0: Yeah, which is what I found so weird about that movie you were talking about at the beginning of the show, just saying we're not gonna engage the fans. Yeah, nice lazy, first of all, and ill considered. Exactly.
2: And, and And that's sort of like the in all these stories we have these you know these polarized opposites right and in in that case, the polarized opposite would be like the gamers. Where that group who puts out these independent movies are very involved with their fans. Dead Gentlemen. Yeah, the Dead Gentlemen Productions—they're incredibly involved with their fans. They have a very strong community that supports them. You know, they 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 communicate well with them. They they do Kickstarter programs with them. They get them you know involved. They one of the things they're releasing on DVD is where they do like sketch comedy with people. The the actors from um, the uh, the gamers like they get on stage and have you know audience members come up and do these like D and D based like sketch comedy stuff. I mean. How many times does this model have to be proven for people to just freaking get it? Yeah, exactly I don't right. understand. So. Well,
0: it's a really basic concept. It's you make your consumer feel loved. Yeah. And now it gets more complicated because you have so much social media, but it's still the basic same concept.
2: But I think people... It's been around for a long time. Like, Valve proved it. Like, when Valve saw that Counter-Strike had such a strong community following and they embraced that community and supported that community, all of a sudden, boom they're like like one not just like one of the number one games in the business they're not one of the, they're now one of the number one distributors. Steam has become like the number one distributor of games right mm-hmm. it is it is getting in danger of, of putting brick and mortar stores out of business right exactly right and that's because of their community involvement and and so I just how do people just not get this i don't understand so
1: exactly right well we've gone a little bit past our hour and a half. Are we ready to wrap
2: up then? I think so. Um, so we'll try and um, get it done, uh, the next podcast done, more than, what are we in now? Two months since the last one? Something well, like that? month and a half, yeah. month and a half, so we'll try and, well, Carlos and I will talk about it. We'll get some more guest stars on. Uh, we I think we'd be more than happy to have both Holly and JJ back on. You guys have been great this episode, so thank you very much for coming.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you.
2: You can reach us on Twitter at cotb one. Um, I promise I won't cuss out any more celebrities on that on that Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, I know but it works
1: so well. It, it, yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, I was actually, I was like, oh, I should see if BJ's been Twitter. I'm like,
2: what? Yeah. So,
1: so those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you should go and look at our Twitter.
2: <laughs> so I, I apologize for that. So I won't be doing that anymore. But you can uh, reach us at cotb um, one. You, you can also, I'm yeah. sorry, good.
1: It says you can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com.
2: And you can email us at podcast at com. We really do appreciate any comments or suggestions. If there are any topics you want us to cover, we're more than happy to. Yes.
1: Yeah, comments. We will respond to comments also.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, from, from everyone at uh, Coming Out of the Basement, uh, have a great week.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: network interface disabled. Goodbye.